Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chan. And I'm Sarah Watt. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing The Mitchells vs. The Machines, a Netflix film which came out this year, and T2, Judgment Day, the second of the Terminator franchise, which came out 30 years ago, listeners. Wow. 30 what? years ago in 1991. <laughs> the connection being that they are both films with a robot uprising, and there are some other connections as well, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, most likely... Mummy daddy issues, I'm going to say it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's our films, and I'm going to hand it over to William to give us a bit of an overview of one of these movies. William. Alright, so, so guys, uh, this month I, I watched the Sony Pictures Animation and Lord Middle Productions feature starring a creative young hero who people just don't get. Um, they try to prove themselves to their distant father, a technophobe of, th- of sorts who loves his kid but is unsure about their direction in life. He's also a terrible communicator. However, when a tech-induced apocalypse threatens to swallow the land, father and child need to team up with other assorted weirdos voiced by comedy luminaries uh, to destroy the evil central processor with the climax centered on their desperately trying to use a computer. All of this is presented with eye-searing colors and a unique CG art style that really shows off SBA's knack for pushing the boundaries of CG animation. But enough about Cloudy with the chance of meatballs, everybody. Oh my god! <laughs> have you seen Cloudy? No, Sarah? but I've heard it's terrific. I, I know, I, I forced you to see it, Jeremy. We did an episode. <laughs> we did an episode did on the Lego movie too. And we had a guest star, Katie. Katie, my friend Katie. Yeah, that's, that's right. Katie that's right. Cloudy is awesome. Um, and the Mitchells, it's from a lot of the same creative team as uh, Into the Spider-Verse and some Sony people with, with Phil Lord and Chris Miller kind of helming the whole thing. Um, it's, it's a movie about a family trying to survive a robo-apocalypse with really, really, really colourful images just searing their way into your retinas. Brilliant. Uh, and T2, uh, not the, well, not to be confused with another film we've talked about, which is T2 Spotting, which is a riff on this movie, um, or movie title. Terminator 2 is the, I believe, fourth film by James Cameron, because he would have done Terminator, the first one. Aliens, The Abyss, and then Terminator 2, Judgment uh, Day. Do we count Piranha 2 as part of this? I did not count Piranha 2 <laughs> as part of this. Uh, because he, <clears throat> he wasn't really involved in yeah. the directing of that. He just snuck in and edited it by night and then kind of got a credit at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my James Cameron films. You do! Uh, so <laughs> Terminator 2 is the sequel to the grungy cyberpunk breakout film of the 1980s uh, with, a, with a much larger budget. And it sees the lead of Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, the Terminator, shift in kind of tone and in motivation, going from the villain of the first movie to, spoiler alert, the hero of the second film. Uh, Sarah Connor, the lead of the first movie, she has sort of hung up her dresses and nightclub uh, <laughs> nightclub lifestyle and become this very hardened warrior planning for an, an apocalypse and has been subsequently locked up in, a, in an institution for trying to blow up a, some sort of facility. Mm. And the other lead is young John Connor, played by Edward Furlong. And the film opens with the, the introduction of these three characters, as well as the villain, and uh, slowly weaves their stories together into what made the first Terminator great, a chase film, 
that um, ends in a factory. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Terminator 2. I guess it's worth, worth mentioning, and I've, I've already slightly done it, that we will be spoilering both films. So if you haven't seen particularly the Terminator series, I would suggest pausing this episode, jump into a bit of cultural phenomenon, and come back. Just watch the first two and skip to the most recent one, Dark Fate, and you'll be sweet. Uh, but yeah, let's let's jump in. The Mitchells versus the Machines and T2 Terminator Judgment Day. Who wants to start? I'll start. I think The Mitchells is a really interesting movie. I was really, really looking forward to this one. Um, hearing all the behind-the-scenes stuff and about how so much of the developments from Into the Spider-Verse, which we all went to see and generally really loved, mm. um, funneling their way into just a new style of animation and then seeing the story people behind it and the producers behind it. It's directed by Mike Rianda, who was one of the storyboard artists behind the, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the Disney show Gravity Falls. No. It's a wonderful show. It's kind of, if you can imagine, Twin Peaks meets X-Files meets Simpsons. That's mm. Gravity Falls. Mm. Beautiful, weird little show. Um, so a lot of the writing credit is from those guys. And then, of course, with Phil Lord and Chris Miller overseeing the whole thing and their brand of comedy stylings from Spider-Verse to Lego Movie to 21 Jump Street um, seemed like just a match made in heaven. And so really interested and looking forward to it. I think the final product it does have its highs and lows, um, but I'm super keen to hear what you guys have to say about it. My biggest issue with this film, I think, is probably a bigger issue with the Netflix uh, film creation in general, which it, it has all the pieces there, but there's a lack of discipline about how it's landing and how it's put together. And I think this is perhaps a real, um, I guess, example of where the studio system can help a film. I assume that a movie like this would usually go through rounds of focus groups, of um, test screenings, of re-edits, of reshoots, and we often criticise that process. Mm. I think we think, oh, you know, they're, they're stepping on the creative, mm-hmm. the creative's vision. But actually, this film feels to me like it really needed mm. some of that work. Mm. Uh, the the storyline I was appreciating the the, the main character, um, her kind of film nerdiness and the classic parental issues. Okay, all right, we've got some good primal storytelling going on. Uh, but it took a long time to set up that story. I think it took a good 20 minutes. Uh, and then it was sort of resolved within the first half of the movie. Like the, the daughter and the, the father, you know, she says the thing, I love you, Dad, or I, I respect you, and oh, thanks, thanks, daughter. And then there's still like another hour of this film to yeah, go. Yeah, no, but isn't there the complication a little later on where he's watching the video... Yeah. This, the, the CCTV or whatever it was and captures her saying to her brother, I just said that to make him happy. You remember? And so then the dad's like, oh, she didn't really mean it or, uh, you, you know, so yeah, they do I, complicate it again. But it's not a massive dramatic complication, right? It feels yeah. just like it's they're, low they're, they're having to hash out. They've realized that they've, they've resolved their issue. And we're like, oh, well, let's just kind of reintroduce it again. There's no development or, or growth. And so... <clears throat> Yeah, I just kind of got bored with it for that reason. Visually, I, visually it was really interesting. Mm. Um, it definitely mashed a lot of styles and, and not <laughs> always to great effect. N- not as well as how Spider-Verse did it, I think. Mm. Yeah, w- which, you know, you have so much of the live-action elements and the um, what they call Katie vision, where it's doodles and all these fantastic 2D elements laid on top. Mm. And you watch some of the making ofs and every single frame is just poured over laboriously. And the, the, the craft is fantastic. But I, I do agree, Jeremy. Like, sometimes it feels just maybe a little too much. 
Mm. It, do you, when you say Katie Vision, do you mean those were the bits that would appear to yeah, her left? Yeah, that's the left, right. It's sort of like the angels on the shoulders, mm-hmm. and, and as if they're her inner, her inner thoughts. Kind <laughs> How of. she sees the world, like right. through her filmmaker's vision. Yeah, right? like. Um, they, they did hire a uh, not really an outsider, but a freelancer. Her name was Lin- or her name is Lindsay Olivares, and so she kind of just set this whole sort of visual styling in place, mm. and everything was working around the very very hand drawn doodling type, yeah. you know, um, overlay on top of a CG. I guess a CG world that is made to look imperfect as well. Um, so the art, in terms of the family and the organic stuff, the art a lot of straight lines right mm. or edges mm. or things that are very very cleanly textured it's all mm. rough and tumble i guess so we can have this comparison with the di- digital world which is all about the gradients and the smoothness and the, sh- the straight lines i liked all that i really liked that that merging it's very 90s this whole film had a real mm. 90s feel and i think mm. we've talked in the past about this sort of 30 year generational you know people have grown up now and they're, they're looking back to well, the they time. all dress like the 90s sorry yeah. to interrupt you but actually the costuming is all 90s mm. because the mom's wearing um very pear-shaped sort of bootleg jeans and the and uh katie's wearing kind of slightly flared grungy you know and yeah, yeah and everything she's wearing is exactly what the 90s looked like yeah, so I think it's that whole piece that we're seeing, right? We've gone through the 80s uh, renaissance through mm. Stranger Things, and now we are getting to the 90s mm. nostalgia. But the, I guess the piece that pushed it over the edge for me visually was the introduction of real photographs of families and, and real memes of cats. And mm. there was a lot of real photographic elements in the mix of this animated style that was more hand-drawn mm. and then mixed in with this really great CGI uh, animated style. I just think that that real mm. element, I didn't understand. It, the logic of it failed for me. It didn't land. It's like I have the same issue with um, Wally. Oh. The movie. So my one criticism of Wally. When they switch to live action. Yeah, they have the live action um, what, Fred Willard. Yeah. Um, he's the Cuttons. And then eventually you see the transition from real people into CGI people. Mm. Again, the logic, I, I, I didn't. it didn't land for mm. me. Um, a place where it's very strange, but I kind of like it, is in... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where um, Margot Robbie is watching the real Sharon Tate on mm-hmm. screen. Mm-hmm. It's just such a bonkers bizarre, idea mm-hmm. that it just sort of works because it's sort of evoking the spirit of her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that would be my the, the, my, my issue with the visuals of the Mitchells versus the Machines. Mm-hmm. That, that's what pushed it for me. There's a really small um, observation on my part. I thought the film was fine. Like, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it plenty. Um, we actually watched it over two nights, which I know isn't ideal, but we obviously were t- sufficiently tired and didn't care enough that we were prepared to, to stop it with 40 minutes to go and then resume next to- It's fine. Um, I just thought it was super fun. I quite liked looking at the uh, connections with the films that we were going to compare it to. But I really, really did enjoy watching Maya Rudolph and her animated character looking like Maya Rudolph <laughs> and Danny McBride looking like Danny McBride. And I don't know the kid actors, so I didn't have that same sort of affiliation there. But that was there was something really quite charming. And that actually was one of the few things that gave me pause for thought after watching the film. You know, sometimes you can watch a film, I have to say, like iRobot, and you forget about it forever thereafter. But um, and we'll get <laughs> on to that. But, um, but with this one, I did sort of think, oh, I wonder which came first. You know, clearly they cast my Rudolph and then they animated the character to look like her or they decided here's who we want in it and then we'll get i don't know yeah it was a very small wandering i like that and i think we're seeing more and more of that with animated characters 
mimicking or or taking on attributes of their voice counterparts. And I guess it's a mixture of um, it's a mixture of the Andy Circus Gollum influence of motion cap and then mm. actually using his facial expressions to 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 imbue the character with that realness. But they wouldn't have mo-capped this no, film, hey? Well, because I, I was think thinking so, but... about a scanner darkly with right, Keanu Reeves hey, yeah. looking mm. like Keanu Reeves, right? Mm. Am yeah, I right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and I was thinking, no, this is this won't have been what is it, rotoscoping, rotoscoping and yeah. whatnot. So I just think it's more the influence of that, how people <clears throat> have started to appreciate yes. that uh, that a, that a voice actor is not just a voice actor That's right. There is an opportunity to bring themselves physically into it. Yes, right. So I, yeah, I guess it's just more looking at the the fucker papa of that, yeah. that kind of and that is trend, a new, yeah you know? that's a it is a newish thing apart from richard linklater being like amazing in 2007 uh, or 2006 but yeah well wasn't uh, didn't he make that other movie as well with robert downey jr um waking life is it oh yes well, is, well, that is that with that that was earlier than it's Stanley def- Darkly. It's 2004 or something. It's definitely Richard Linklater. I have yeah. never seen it, so I couldn't speak to mm. Robert Downey Jr. being in it. Scanner Darkly was great. Was that um, was that a Philip K. Dick story? As yes. Well? Yeah. Mm. yeah, it was definitely like not a film that you go and you go, oh, that was really satisfying. I know exactly what happened. No. But as an experience. Yes. It was, it was quite wonderful. I'm going to watch that again. Mm. I think it's interesting you guys bring up the point of almost like um, ink ink actors right like animated characters who are made to look and sound like their real life counterparts Mm. um because i think a lot of this has been bleeding into like live action films as well um you now have a lot of movies use cgi and a whole bunch of technologies to bring either people back from the dead yes or from in the case of for example the mandalorian um taking taking characters that we know and love like luke skywalker and de-aging Mark Hamill, who's now in his 60s, to look like he was back in his 30s. Yeah, right. And it just really messes with your mind. Um, and of course, have you guys seen that movie The Congress with Robin Wright? Uh, Robin Wright? No. It's uh, a yes. wonderful little movie. I have seen it now you mention it, but I remember seeing it, I think, at the Academy. And it was right, very strange. It was strange, showing at the Academy. And it, and it was a very obscure film. Yes. And I probably didn't love it, but I don't remember anything else. I, I think it's it's very prescient. Um, so Jeremy, the Congress is about Robin Wright playing a Robin Wright-esque character. She's, she's an actress who kind of... Uh, she signs away her likeness um, to be digitally replicated for any movie from here on out and she gets a large paycheck for it and it's all about the the importance of being and of what what having an image of yourself actually represents um and of course then she goes into this weird completely animated dreamscape and it gets really weird oh that's the bit i didn't like because yes. i don't like it when tone changes and so yeah right she's like going yeah. through water and yeah, under yeah. the sea and it's all animated and that's when i go this is a silly <laughs> i will put up with a whole lot of sci-fi nonsense right. but then you'll get to a point where i'll go like with um Whatever it was that we were talking about in the last film with the Godzilla versus Kong, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's what makes this completely unbelievable. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's no. from the director of um, uh, what's it called Waltz with Bashir. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And so it was his follow-up, and using a lot of the same animation styles and rotoscoping. As right, well. mm. yeah. and a very clever conceit. In yes. fact, I would argue the first half is the clever conceit because <laughs> it is the almost sci-fi, but could really happen, yeah. might really happen. Mm. But then, uh, and is happening right, right now when Peter Cushing and Peter and Rose one and you're like wait a minute he died 30 years ago yeah right it's interesting I'm, my mind's going to the imaginarium of dr parnassus 
the Terry Gilliam film mm-hmm. that was also Hugh, um, Hugh Heath Ledger's last movie. Mm-hmm. And they filmed all of the, the real world elements. And then when he went into the Imaginarium, they were going to go film that on a green screen. So mm. then they cast three different actors yeah. to play him. Um, and that movie, for me, that really worked. Um, and I think about, we talked a little bit about Defive Bloods or um, Sarah's when you were away. We had another guest, guest then, Billy. Billy joined us, Billy Rubel. Um, and in that film, they when they go back in time, yes. they don't de-age them. Yeah. They just have them as their older selves, as a kind of commentary. And I, I like, I just think those choices are far more interesting than this de-aging process we're like seeing. Like Scorsese did with The Irishman. Mm. It's strange. I've actually seen The Irishman, and that's part of my reason, is I don't want to be creeped out by, well, not creeped out, just frustrated. Mm. Um, Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One. Strange. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've seen that scene with Luke Skywalker. I don't know what it's in. Mandalorian? Mandalorian, it? yeah, last episode. Very it? strange. Very strange. Uh, and, and I'm just finding that a lot of the stuff... Just and, and with make, how it, they, make a different choice. How they shot it with Mandalorian, it would have been completely fine if Luke's face was hidden under his cloak this whole time. You know who he is, right? Mm. But they had to show you we have the tech to actually do this. Yeah. And it is still that uncanny valley. Like, I don't think they've got it to a point where your human eyes can look at it and think, I am completely okay with this. Yes, and that you're suspending your disbelief or your belief or whatever. Because I do wonder whether you're right about the human eyes and how you can't make the brain feel differently when we're looking at these things. And I wonder whether contextually, watching Carrie Fisher, there was this feeling of, oh, how lovely, as well as, oh, how sad, Mm. because we knew she was dead and we knew it was a construct. But then we're talking, all, and so the same goes with Peter Cushing. And but then the de aging thing. Robert De Niro, God bless him, is not yet passed. So watching him younger is that just kind of weird, and my brain can't compute it because I've seen him older. You know what I mean? The deep fake technology that I see on YouTube though is amazing. I don't understand how that's different and why they don't use that because that's where there's there's a whole trend on YouTube where um, uh, where people are superimposing faces over over people. So for instance, Bill Hader's having an interview with Jimmy Fallon and he's pretending to be Jack Nicholson or Tom Cruise and then they've, they've superimposed that actor's yeah. face and it looks like they're kind of sitting there. It's very, very strange. Yes, but whose face is doing the acting? B- Bill Hader's face is doing the acting yeah. and they've somehow... The computer algorithm is, is, that, is recognizing that, that as another actor's face. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, I wonder if they could do something like that. It, yeah. It's far more compelling and interesting and I think if they got somebody to do an impression of those people for those scenes yeah. and use their technology yeah it's but Scorsese look you know Uncle Marty he's not gonna go hey Bobby I'll use you for certain scenes in this film but when we go back in time I'm, I've am i got this thanks don't worry about it but, he's I've, gonna but get... I've also seen them take scenes like that and then correct them quote unquote with, with the deep fake of, yeah. the, of their younger face and it works so much better so it's I don't understand the technology of deep fake it's right. different but right Segway. Let's segue because I think technology, technology, special effects that hold up or don't hold Terminator up. Terminator Two. Th- <laughs> oh, it holds bum, up. Bum, Thirty bum, years bum. old and it holds up. You talk incredibly. about the nineties. My goodness. It yeah, nineties really, connection as well. Yeah. Right? It really does hold up. That film has been in my top ten films. So back in the nineties. I remember someone saying to me, oh, so you like movies? What's in your top 10 films? And I, I promise you, Terminator 2 was in that top 10 and still is. Uh, now, partly that's because I'm not great at updating my list because I, I don't know what to let go of. But genuinely, it is timeless and it, is, it doesn't date. 
I mean, I'm sure there are aspects that date, but not really. No, I think I some of the so watching it last night, um, the some of the CGI is a little iffy. Like when the T1000 runs, I I know I understand that this was the first time people had actually animated human movements in a CGI wow. object, and so for that alone is incredible. Mm. Um, he does look pretty stiff, but then he is a robot, so mm. okay, I'll give him that. Yeah, I think um, it holds up really, really well. Just some of the effects, like, it's it's very obvious that it is CGI, but how the, the beautiful Wait, thing about Wait, do you it, mean to say you can't make liquid nitrogen come, <laughs> come together and create a human form? But yes, I, it's CGI. I, I guess the beautiful thing about it is, it, just like in Jurassic Park, which came mm. out, what, two years later? Yeah. Like they also do CGI, Jeremy, every... just so you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> My childhood. But the, they are so good at using real-life elements to yeah. spruce up the CGI yeah. so that your brain is continuously jumping between physical, mm, fake, mm, mm. physical, fake. And the lighting is all physical. And so much of everything around it is physical. So when there is a CGI object, it just doesn't jump out at you. The, the the way, for example, if you see a big old Marvel movie now and everything is animated and your brain just says, this is a cartoon and I don't care as much. Yes, and I, think, I know true. you're being facetious, but just yeah. to back up what we've said, there is a scene, there's parts in the movie where the liquid metal is not CGI. There's like, right at the end when when the T TX-1000, is that what mm -hmm. it's called? It's all broken up into frozen pieces mm. and then it starts to melt again. Mm. And then there's the, there's like the, it's like mercury, right? Oh, wait, like so, together. Oh. They use real... Oh, is it mer is that mercury? Yeah. What am I calling liquid well, nitrogen? Well, liquid metal. Yeah, it's right. some magic alloy. Poly alloy right. or something. <laughs> well, no, that's what I mean. So wait, is that not CGI? Well, there's a mixture of CGI, but then at the end, yeah. that part is... I mean, it must be mercury. It looks like mercury yeah. to me. Yeah. It's so they've reversed. amazing. So cool. It's like they've just poured a thing of mercury and then they've just reversed the footage and it all comes back together. Right. So you talk about the brain being able to cope with fake, not fake, da, mm -hmm. da, 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 da. But of course, the other most brilliant thing is the fact that by that stage in the movie, we know that when you see innocuous little drips of liquid mercury or whatever the heck it is, um, there's going to be trouble. Th there's going to be trouble. And so our fear comes from actually what we understand is going on, mm. not so much the fact that, oh, here's a machine coming around the corner. I think this, you know? this is interesting. Like, I've talked about this before, but Tarantino talks about this, right? He's not against CGI, but he says when you see CGI, you know it's CGI, so you know how the trick is done. And, and movie magic is not knowing how it's yeah. done. And I always love seeing a film where I'm like, I don't know how they did that. Mm. And I think about Mad Max Fury Road. There is stuff in that movie. I don't know how they did it. And there's stuff in Terminator 2. I don't know how they did some of that stuff. And it's so much more satisfying than, like you say, William, the Marvel or the tr or the Transformers was the, was oh, the, was oh the like, gosh. for me, the big write-off. I was like, hey, oh. hey, hey kids, you like, do you like to see metal? Yeah. I'm going to show you some metal. Yeah, crashing into <laughs> other metal and destroying cities. I tell you, the thing for me with Terminator 2, and I may have said this in one of our 50 previous podcasts, um, nothing thrills me more, and that is not hyperbole, than the conceit of a character morphing into another character so that you do not know who is legit. Years ago, I saw what I think is a Clive Barker film, Shocker. Hmm. Is Shocker Clive Barker? It's a, it was a, for some reason, nobody in the world else seems to have seen it. 
No, it's Wes Craven. So, Shocker is basically a, a film, uh, it's a horror film about a, a guy on death row who is electrocuted and his spirit or soul or whatever goes through the electrocution first oh, to right. the person who presses the movie. button, who goes off and kills people, yeah. and then when they interact with the next person, the spirit goes into the next body and so on and so forth. So it's just like that most awesome scene of, of many in Terminator 2 where Aunt So-and-so with the frizzy hair um, may or Janine. may not... Janine. Yeah, may or may not already be... Um, have the Terminator mm. having morphed into her. Do you know what I mean? So that you don't really know where you stand. I love that stuff so yeah. much. And he doesn't use he doesn't overuse it in the movie either. Mm. It's only a couple of moments. Yes. I also love that Janine, this kind of dowdy housewife frustrated with John Connor, is from Aliens. Oh. Uh, she's, what's her character's name? I want to say Perez, but I'm not quite sure. Oh, is she one of the... She's the butch. Crew? She's the yeah. butch, I like... I didn't make um, that connection. A female badass. Right. Uh, Marine. And right. I just And she's also the, the mother in Titanic. That the Irish mother telling her her children the story. Oh, the oh good lord, cool. she is. So that she is Janine. Up. She pops up. <laughs> Janine. Oh my gosh, it's Janine. She everybody. pops up. She's in a few Cameron movies, so she must be a friend. And yes. he sort of gives her a role every now and again. Um, one of the things I noticed this time, which is by far the least interesting thing about this film, but the SWAT team guy who see and when they go into the Skynet whatever it's called, the place and the, the, the guy who, the, you know, she, oh, I can't speak properly. He's got the weight and he's breathing fast and he's like, I can't hold it so much longer and then the thing blows up. The SWAT team leader is like, get out, get out. He's the brother from Breaking Bad, the brother-in-law. Oh, yeah. Really? I Dean. saw his eyes and I was like... Dean Norris? I, I mean, I don't know his oh, name. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it must be. Yeah, I went and searched him up on in IMDb. And Dean Norris is intimidated too. Yeah. yeah. Whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. he's the leader of the SWAT, SWAT crew. Right. Probably. But yeah. Um, speaking of effects and just astounding feats of movie magic, rewatching it this time, the effect that really got me was when Arnold tears off his arm. Mm. And how do they do it? How do they do it? Because the shot itself is seamless. There's no cutaway to tearing off the arm and you see the animatronic. Mm. You see a hand which looks like a human hand. Mm. It's out of shot. It's the outer shot. Oh, no, you do see the elbow. You see the elbow. Oh, right. So uh, maybe the elbow connected to the shoulder is completely prosthetic, but it's moving in the way a human hand does. So my brain was saying, yes, this is Arnold's oh, hand. Oh, on there. Yeah, oh. and then he tears his, his skin off like a glove, mm. and it's all done in one take, and then there's the armature underneath. Mm. Um, and then later on, of course, you, you have it slightly out of shot. And okay, so that's Arnold and the armature. Mm. But for that one scene, it's like, how did they do this? Yeah, mm. I'm I'm astounded by Cameron's ability to 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 set up a story. Like each of his movies, they they have varying degrees of, of build up. So Titanic, mm. for instance, is like an hour and a half, but it's so satisfying. It's mm. a really well constructed arc. Um, same with Aliens. There's an hour of that movie when there's no aliens. You know, it really just builds up all yeah. the pieces, and then it really pays it off. And this movie, it it does it quite quickly. It gets into the action quite quickly. Like you, you very soon, you've got the TX one thousand. You're not quite sure who the baddie is. At yeah, point. yeah, yeah. That's knocking awesome. on the door, and, yeah. and so you kind of already know John Connor's in, in danger. It's kind and of playing never... off the expectations of the first movie as well, because yeah. Arnold comes, and a lot of it's reflecting the first movie. And we've never met Robert Patrick before, and yeah. very, and probably haven't really seen him in many movies. So and he's very charismatic. As exactly, a character. and he's nice looking. So yeah. there's nothing to to make us think maybe he's a baddie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it's it's a really well it's a really great 
setup, but you've got the prologue that kind of is a recap of the first movie or to get us in, you know, and then there's that wonderful title sequence of a burning playground. And it, and mm. it struck me of like, ah, this is really about loss of childhood, loss of innocence, loss of, of family. Like there's, there's a lot of meta kind of narrative about the world blowing up, but then it's all very kind of micro and with Sarah and her son and this father figure with Arnold. Yeah. Like it's a really beautifully set up kind of tone. And then you've got four characters or five characters. You've got the Arnold Schwarzenegger character. You've got the TX-1000 character. You've got little John Connor. You've got Sarah Connor Institution. And you've got the Skynet. Yeah, Miles Dyson. Miles Dyson Mm. character. Like, it's a really well... That could just be a mess. Mm. And and, and it's just... You get the things when you need to get the things. Mm. Um, And that whole first act of the movie is about them coming together and it culminates with that great ex- escape from the mm. institution. But there is just... That is... Oh, it's the awe of this movie. It's so good. You know the old um, Greek myth of um, Sybil? And Sybil was the prophetess who said to everybody, the robots are going to take over the world, and nobody believed her. Uh, and so Sarah Connor has that classic... Um, and I, I was really... I, I'm constantly struck by this, has that really classic, horrible dilemma of, I sound completely mad. And if anyone Mm. said it to us in our daily life right now, we would go, oh, really? Oh, dear. Oh, well, you know. And yet she was absolutely true. But of course, it's just so discreditable. And that's also what makes things so utterly frightening. And of course, it also it's also a trope, isn't it? That it's the maddest in society who actually know what is going on is 12 monkeys that's, that comes out around about this time 95 well, eh? i think oh 95 yeah. so a bit a bit further on um mm. but yeah that's the same thing isn't it bruce willis comes back from from the future yep. and ends up in an institution of course um yeah and i was trying to think about the politics of sarah connor being an institution and what that kind of said and you've got a couple of shots of kind of like the the shuffling um moving inmate but on a whole i think the fact that we empathize with sarah connor is um I think it's okay. Yeah, but you see, well, it is, but you see also we as the audience, we are allowed to see what's really going on. So we're not mm. just dealing with somebody who's spouting this this nonsense in inverted commas. Mm. Now, when did Ma- The Matrix come out? 99. Oh, ages later. Okay, but you've got a similar sort of scenario, right? Mm. With somebody who's like, oh, there's this yeah. thing. Because we watched recently that documentary, The Glitch in the Matrix, which is actually a really disturbing, you should totally watch it, a really disturbing documentary about real life world right now where there are people who believe that we are living in a matrix and and so various dreadful things are happening because people are under the i would like to say misapprehension but then maybe i'm just one of the blind you know who doesn't really realize um but that's the thing sarah connor as a character was proven to be right well actually no she wasn't because the world didn't end. Yeah, so there's actually, no there, we make. No, there's no proof, actually, is there? That's the problem. If you stop something terrible from happening, who's even going to know? But that's her arc, right? I think that's why I love this film, the way they set up each of their characters. They've all got... I mean, John Connor is kind of the one that... He's like the heart and he's the... He's the voice of reason in the film. Mm. And, it's, and it's Sarah Connor and the Terminator that change. Yeah. Sarah Connor realises, actually, you know, there's that wonderful devastating scene where she reaches out to John and he jumps into her arms to hug her and she's feeling him for bullet wounds, you know? Like, <laughs> And I think that's her arc, right? She realises that she's missing out on what matters because she's so obsessed with the future. Sure. And I, I, I just... 
it's one of the best transitions from a first to a second movie. You see Sarah Connor go from this lovely young girl mm. to this bitter, embattled, hardened woman and survivor. So, yeah, and and then you've got the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger change as well. He goes yeah. from he's really scary in that first movie. That first film, I love. Part of me actually loves the first Terminator more, not because it's a better film, but because I love what they did on such a small budget. Mm. And, and, and it really is a horror kind of chase movie because mm. he's terrifying. Um, but yeah, I just really love that that switch that they play with. And of course, the Terminator can learn by the end of it. And Aww. one of the greatest symbols with the, with the thumb going into the fire. It's is... iconic. It really is iconic. The subverting of expectations is interesting. I feel like it happens uh, way, way, way more now. Um, but, you know, the very fact that, oh, my goodness, he's walking down the corridor and suddenly we think he's going to shoot him and it turns out, woohoo, reveal he's a goodie, blah, And in, in, on a much smaller level, in uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines, of course, you've got the robots who are <laughs> kind of yeah. bad or are they good or are they bad? Mm. But moreover, in iRobot, which we haven't actually uh, started to talk about yeah, yet. Yeah, we were going to, listeners, we were going to compare... Mitchell versus the machines with iRobot because there's much connections with yeah, it as well. Yeah, a lot of parallels between two And films. we still, we can still draw a few yeah, comparisons. It's just that it's such a, and of course, not a superior film to No, T2. it isn't at all. It's a totally forgettable film. And to the extent that I had seen it and then forgot why I had no interest in seeing it again <laughs> until I watched it again and went, oh, that's why. But, um... But again, you do at least have the subverting expectations because the, the central robot is set up, isn't he, to be a baddie? Yes. Um, and then he isn't. And now I can't even remember if he is again or not. And it's oh, a no, double no. cross. He's no, not, a, is he? Alan Tudor, because he's always a goodie through the whole thing. And right. He, he was programmed by James Cromwell That's to right. be the one good robot because the central processing unit had controlled everyone. You right. know James Cromwell's going to be the baddie. When he, unless he's in Babe, he's always going to be the baddie. Yeah. <laughs> he, as it said on the poster, one man saw it coming. <laughs> And it, but no, it was but, James Cromwell, not Wilson. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but I tell you, so some things that I noticed, because um, when mm. I thought I was going to be watching iRobot for a reason, I found some connections <laughs> with the Mitchells versus for, the Machines. For jumping in. Both of them have blue blood. <laughs> Did you notice? No. Yes, in uh, Mitchells I, versus oh. the Machines, those robots, when they get smushed... They have blue goo. Oh, that's cool. And that's they to get around, also you know what, so they can get around the um, American censorship. censorship laws. Oh, around red blood. Yeah, you have to change it to black yeah. or blue when you have it on a trailer. Wow, that's fascinating. So if you ever see, if you ever see a trailer, like one of my favorite examples is in Kill Bill. I was always wondering why she's got black ink all over her yellow, her yellow jumpsuit, and then you watch the movie, it's like, oh, oh, oh <laughs> that's interesting. Well, yeah. so blue blood. I don't think they mean it in like somebody who was born into nobility. Although with Olivia Coleman playing the big bad. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I do want to talk about that. I do want to talk about that. So first of all, I love Olivia Coleman. And I would be inclined to say she can do no wrong. And I wouldn't say that she did wrong in Mitchell versus the Machines, but I didn't buy a single line of dialogue. Really? Yeah, I Not agree. A, I don't know why. Yeah, I agree. In a way, she has the haughtiness and she yeah. has the voice and the talent. And I didn't. I felt like she was reading from a script. It, it, mm. it, you know, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but she wasn't a Cardi B and... Oh. Um, in, what was it, Lego Movie 2? Yeah, yeah. Like, <clears throat> Cardi B out-voiced oh, Olivia no, no. Coleman. Uh, no, Lego Movie 2 was, um... Uh, no, that wasn't Cardi B. Oh, wasn't it? Oh, um, no, Tiffany Haddish. Yes, yes. Tiffany Haddish. Oh well, my gosh, it's I just mean, they're, both, they're both such big personalities. I did quite <laughs> like the fact that she did somewhat sound like Hal from 2001 A Space yeah. Odyssey. 
Um, but I didn't buy her as pal. Obviously, that's where it comes from, <laughs> right? Um, but you didn't like her, her freak out moment? I, She's um, like, I liked it when she went Put me the on the water. table. Oh, yeah. No, that, yes, that, that was fine. But do you know what I mean? It was yeah, like the whole I, time. I, I was, oh, I'm listening to Olivia and it's not working. I was sitting the weird. whole time trying to figure out who she was. Like, I know their voice. I know their voice. I know their voice. It's not Helen Mirren. It's not Helen O'Bottom Carter. And I was like, I know who it is. And then by the end of the movie, the like, third it's, royal. Yeah, it's Olivia <laughs> Coleman. It felt a little bit too much like she's 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 really hot right now. Mm. Um, and look, I feel terrible saying that. And Olivia, if you're listening, we still think <laughs> you are the superlative actor of this generation. Look at me! Don't look at me! <laughs> so the robots, nice. obviously, the way the robots look um, mm-hmm. to the untrained oh, yeah, eye, yeah. such I, as I mine. mean, th- that's very, very planned. Pointed, right? yeah. Po- um, yeah, it's an yeah. iRobot reference almost. The and blue and the red lights as well. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the way that they land is just like the Terminators land, mm. but it's also like the iRobots land, and mm-hmm. it's like the Mitchell machine lands. And there is there's a central building iRobot, isn't there? There's kind of yeah. A, I remember there's like the center center point of all the robots. Will Smith needs to plunge in his, his robot arm to like destroy everything. Will yeah. Smith's so annoying in this film. And I've got a lot of time for Will Smith. Like <laughs> yeah. probably too much time. And as time goes on, I should probably have less. But <laughs> I, uh, I found him really arrogant. I hate the way he swings in that ridiculous trench coat on those potentially leather trousers that are quite flared. Anyway, whatever. I hate the way he swings in, into buildings and that, and he's all like, they can't be trusted because they made a bad call based on science, yeah, dude. based on probability. Sheesh, exactly. 35%, 11%. What do you want? I didn't like it. I, I love I love Will Smith, and um, I love him in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I love him publicly. I love him in Mission... Ah, uh, not Mission Possible. Men in Black. I love and, him in Enemy Independence of the State. Day. Independence Day. But then everything... He, like, boys that movie. Everything from 2000 onwards, his movies, bleh. Like, you don't Hancock like him in Concussion? Terror, concussion, Hancock. I thought he did well in Seven Concussion. Seven Pounds. Seven Pounds. <laughs> um, was After Earth. I want to say I call it After Birth. Um, <clears> and oh, what else has he done? Just lots of... That, that awful uh, Christmas Carol rip-off movie with Helen Mirren and... Uh, uh, Kieran Knightley and Michael Pena. Oh, I haven't seen Oh, he was yeah. good in Six Degrees of Separation, but admittedly, I think that, that was, was the, the 90s. 90s. Yeah, Hitch is another terrible mm. one. Oh, Anyways. Now you mention it, not such a great guy. <laughs> but I really didn't enjoy him in this at all, and I thought his goatee was terrible. <laughs> it's like you either have a goatee or you don't. And I don't like the phrase bum fluff. You know, when you talk, you know, when you talk pejoratively about people who aren't able to grow a proper beard, but it just looked scruffy. But yeah. was he more or less annoying compared to Shia LaBeouf? Oh, well, now bless Shia, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Um, now bless Shia LaBeouf. I was super surprised to see him because I thought he was already famoso by then, but he wasn't yet oh, famous. Is he, is he in that movie? He's yes, a he's the kid. He's oh. the kid. I remember him really in Charlie's annoying. Angels too. <laughs> But but he then of course within four years or something Shia LaBeouf's in Transformers yeah. and he's like a big a big guy so I mean he's fine he's just a kind of a kid with chutzpah you know what I mean <laughs> and also um, I, I always remember Chi McBride uh, being the police chief right in, in <coughs> iRobot and he has his his line his line that he says in everything including pushing daisies oh hell no before he blows a robot away. Uh. <laughs> Can we okay? Let's segue back then to Terminator Two because there are some great catchphrases mm. in this film that have become part of the zeitgeist. Yes, and they've you know Oscar Vista baby, yeah. and I mean it's just 
It's so cool. And I, and I was thinking about um, James Cameron talking about the creation of Avatar sequels. Mm-hmm. And he's got his team of writers and he said to them, we are not going to write a sequel until we understand what made the first Avatar so successful. And he said, yes, there's a great... You can pull a face, Sarah. I am Sarah, pulling a face. But that, well, that is still the most... That is the biggest... Um, highest grossing still a, movie, yeah. Still the highest grossing movie. It was dethroned and then it opened in China and it's reclaimed its throne. Yes, but it's only because it was the first time we'd seen anything that looked like that. You no, could only do I, that once. No, I, I, I disagree. Okay. I, I didn't love Avatar when I first saw it. I've gone back and rewatched it for the episode we did with our friends Adam Spitting and um, Sinead Fitzgerald, you know, but we, um, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think, what am I waffling on about? Avatar. So what he said is that what they figured out was it wasn't just a good story with some good themes about unobtainium and whatnot. Um, <laughs> good themes? It wasn't like, just a good story with good themes and okay, good, good actors themes, like good themes. Sam Worthingless, <laughs> Worthless Look, Okay, good themes. There's an indigenous storyline with capitalism and commercialism in that movie. But the third element is that it's just a beautiful film to look at and you want to go to that place. And that was what he talked about, making the sequels. They kept coming up with good stories, good themes, but they weren't interesting places to go to. And so they scrapped that idea. Mm. And I think about Terminator 2. You've got the story. You've got the themes. But there's some cool stuff in this movie. Yeah. Like, it's just a cool movie. The scene with him putting the glasses on. This, you know, there's just this moment after moment of just cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. how did you come up with this? And thank heavens cool. for those lighter moments as well, right? Because it's really tense. It is. And it's potentially, you know, I was thinking recently about horror films that, for me, that work because they could potentially happen and ones that wouldn't work because I wouldn't go to a cabin in the woods or I'll steer clear of doing a seance, right? Um, but the, the the whole kind of, if robots apocalypsed the world uh, and we were subjected to a nuclear, like, that's very, very frightening stuff. That scene is amazing. The one in the, the playground? The, 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 oh, it is absolutely wow. petrifying. And apparently, um, I was reading online that people have said that that is one of the most realistic depictions of a nuclear blast yes. ever put to film. Um, and people still talk about how terrifying it is. Yeah. It is still it is still terrifying. Because they the miniature work in that scene is so good. And I was reading they were, they were just using air cannons to like destroy, to pulverize these buildings and, and cars and stuff. Um, and just the scene of her screaming with yeah. her it's, it's, And skeleton. also, you say 1991, you realise throughout the 80s, we thought that we were going to yeah. die by nuclear war. Right. Like, I grew up through that time, and in school and everything, we would uh, watch Threads, and mm. the, the Cold War was kind of still on. It must have been still on till 89, right? And so... Nuclear war felt like a genuine threat. Wow. And so, 91, that stuff's still visceral. I, I think it's so interesting comparing T2 to the Mitchells vs. Machines in terms of their, their views of robo-apocalypses, mm. right? Whereas Terminator 2 is all about the nuclear hellfire. Mm. And then what happens later with evil robot armies firing lasers. And then the Mitchells is all about big tech. Right, it's, yeah. it's about invasion of privacy. It's about Wi-Fi. Um, it's about... It's about how entrenched technology is in every single part of our lives mm. and how it reflects so poorly on just being connected even when you're within a family, mm. right? Because the, the original, well, not the original, when it was with Sony Pictures, the title was going to be Connected, um, which is like, eh, it's not a very good title. But you understand why, because it's about the connection between the family and the connection between the internet. And yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think Mitchell's Versus Machines is a way better title, but the, the, the whole, you know, the whole theme of the movie is about how technology at the same time divides us, yeah. as well as simultaneously keeps us together. Yeah. I, I do like how the, the tech aspect is not, it's not too demonized, right? There's a lot of good that can come out from tech. And so much of the emotional climax of the movie is about Katie's dad figuring out what his daughter is actually good at mm. and how it can be something meaningful, even though he himself is a technophobe. Yeah, but all she's me... I mean, okay, I'm going to get in trouble here, but all she's good at is making futuristic versions of TikToks and entertaining people. But, but that's that's amazing, right? You, you see in that scene later on the head of the, the, the Powell Corporation. Yeah. Um, and he's watching her videos. Yeah. And it's getting millions of views. And yes, was, no, but is that valuable? I think so. I was thinking back to one of my students from, from prior years, um, who, re, Katie just reminded me so much of this, this little guy. He's graduated now. Hopefully he's doing editing. But he did terribly at school. He wasn't very popular, but he was a very, very, very good editor. Mm. Um, and he would share with me these videos he did um, with his friends online. And they were of such... A beautiful high precision quality mm, and it's mm. like what are you doing at school you should be doing this stuff and making tons of money sure and and so I, I think there's there is real worth that that's stuff. true and the movie identifying that is a good thing rather than a bad thing I that's thought was true. really progressive yeah that's true brilliant okay let's do just final thoughts quick whip around Sarah do you want to start us off um, we all know how I feel about Terminator 2. What I would say about um, the Mitchells versus the Machines and a little bit iRobot, <laughs> I do really appreciate when films uh, take technology on head on. Uh, I thought I really enjoyed a lot of the uh, digs that Mitchells versus the Machines made about the current state of affairs around technology. Totally hear what you say, William, about the fact that ultimately we need it and we hate it in almost equal amounts and da 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 da. It has purpose as well as dreadfulness. Um, but I really enjoy that. And of course, with iRobot, you've got this idea that wouldn't life be awesome if every family was given their own robot to do certain chores because to some extent yes it totally would people would be freed up to spend time with one another um, but it's interesting how then they go but this is how it could all go terribly wrong and that's why we will be going off the grid and uh, yeah that's right no more technology can you imagine no and so here we are <laughs> driving down dark roads at night oh, yeah wow william um, yeah, Terminator 2, awesome. Uh, although rewatching it, I, I do find Edward Furlong to be increasingly annoying. Just his, his, his timbre in his voice, his mm. timbre. Whining. Um, mm. Excuse me, did you call moi? Moi? <laughs> hey, Terminator! Yeah, um, it's like, oh, don't, don't like this kid. Mm -mm. He's going to be the savior of humanity. Mm. Um, but Arnold, um, a career performance, I would say, from him. Like, he doesn't get enough credit for what he does. It's incredible. Mm. You know, he's funny, he's scary, he's imposing. He's the dad. Um, super good stuff. And, of course, the effects in the story, awesome. Um, Mitchell's, yeah, again, I was kind of let down by it. But there's a lot of good in this movie. Um, things we haven't really touched upon. I love the relationship between Katie and her brother, Aaron. Like, you don't see this in animated That's movies. Of, of you don't siblings, see it in any movies. In any movies of siblings <laughs> getting who on. get on and love each other and mm. support each other. Um, there's been a lot of writing online about the fact that, that Katie is, you know, she is queer. And yeah. I thought at the end that was super cool. And it's not something they plonk at the end to get brownie points. It's scattered throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, and of course, just the 
the visuals of this movie, they're overwhelming, but in a really good way. And I can't wait to see what the studio does next, because I think more so than Pixar or any of the other big studios, like these guys, they want to do new stuff, and it's very, very exciting. Hmm. Cool. And I guess my my biggest takeaway from watching rewatching Terminator 2 and watching the Mitchells versus the Machines is the structure of the film. And I guess I alluded to it right at the start of our chat. Um, I crave for films that are really tightly woven and put together. And I guess there is a huge amount of work and process that has to go into that. Um, and I hope that our online platforms find a way that can achieve that. Pixar does it really well with their think tank kind of model where they really challenge an idea and get it to its most the tightest. Box. Yeah, like the, the tightest um, kind of situation. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing, I you know, I genuinely am looking forward to Avatar 2 and I never thought I would have said that 10 years ago when mm. that movie came out. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I hope that, I'm just getting a little bit sick of Netflix movies that feel a little mm. bit boring because they're they're not on it in the same way that a movie had to be 30 years ago Mm. like Terminator 2. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through multiple platforms like SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, and Amazon Music. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, no ho'ora mai!